Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Good to see each one of you here this morning. Well, we taught you a new song last week that's our theme song for Christmas. It's about Christmas Day. Joy to the world on a night like no other. This was the night that our Savior was born. Let's stand together and worship. Yeah. 
why don't you turn to a few people, say Merry Christmas, good morning, and then you can have a seat. I'm going to pray in a moment as the ushers come forward and they're going to be taking up the offering and as uh, we'll be hearing from Scripture for our second week of Advent from the Johnsons. So let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the blessing of your Son, the gift of your Son, and the freedom that he has afforded to us. Lord, this morning we want to pause and reflect upon all the blessings that you've given to us throughout this year and throughout our life. And we want to give back to you this morning the first fruits of that which you've blessed us with even this week and even this month. God, may you receive these gifts and may they be used for your kingdom's glory. You give us so much. And you deserve all the praise and all the worship and adoration. So Lord, may we be grateful receivers of the gift of eternal life. May we respond with hearts of praise, even now, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor as the battle of Midian. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 2, 4, and 6. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 1 and 2. There's a wonderful Christmas carol that we hear all through the season. God rest you, merry gentlemen. And I remember growing up going, what in the world does that mean? God rest you, merry gentlemen. The song never really made sense to me until I read what it really means. This hymn is a very, very old hymn. It was written in 500 A.D. And back in 500 A.D., some English words back then meant different things than we Uh, know them today and there's two words in this phrase God rest you married gentlemen the word rest back in the uh, 500 AD actually meant make instead of rest it meant make and the word Mary meant mighty and so you see there on the screen there that first phrase instead of God rest you married gentlemen it should say God make you mighty gentlemen let nothing you dismay Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O oh, tidings of comfort and joy. God never intended us to be afraid or dismayed or surprised, but because of the birth of our Savior, we can be mighty through Christ. And so this is what this song is talking about. I invite you, if you're able to stand, and let's worship with it together. A mighty 
Christmas.
forget the wonder of how you brought deliverance, the exodus of my heart. You found me, you freed me, held back the waters of my
God, we rejoice in the freedom that you've given us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we can stand in your presence. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be concerned or surprised. But because of Jesus and the work that he did and the blood of Jesus that covers us, we stand in your presence this morning clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so we rejoice in your goodness to us. Thank you that you have made us mighty through God. And that you have given us your Holy Spirit to help us to live and to be the type of people that you desire for us to be. So thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for allowing us to rejoice in your presence this morning. Now as we turn our heart to your word, teach us this morning, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you would turn in your Bibles to Galatians 4 as we continue to study. We're going to actually be bouncing around quite a bit in these passages this morning. And as you're finding your way there, I have a question for you. What is freedom worth to you? Think about it. There is a freedom that, that we all can have. We look for freedom. We look for financial freedom. We look for physical freedom, uh, political freedom, spiritual freedom. But what does it really mean to be free? And what would you pay for that kind of freedom? What kind of value would you put upon that freedom? Our freedom here as people that live in this country is way different than freedoms that other people have or don't have in other countries. But what's the value of freedom? What's it worth? I can say that freedom is worth everything. Because without freedom, you have no guarantee of anything. Without freedom, you have no guarantee of anything because at any time, whatever is oppressing you, whatever is controlling you, whatever is over you, will restrict you or keep you in a sense of bondage. Now, we can have different kinds of things that will keep us in bondage. We can have physical difficulties that hinder us. We could have emotional things that go on that will hinder us. Grief can create bondage. Addictions can create bondage. All of these different things. They'll restrict your freedom and hold you captive. But as a Christ child, you're free. When we think about freedom, what is freedom? By definition, it's an existence without constraints, suppression, or restrictions. All mankind is born in bondage. All mankind is born without freedom. Because he's born into sin. And it's that sin nature, not only does it create a bondage, but it creates a slavery. That being born under the sin and under the law creates a condemnation. Could you imagine... Actually, you could. Living a life under condemnation. 
But as Paul would say in Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine being free of guilt? Free of shame? All of these things, free of sin. Martin Luther once said this, Either sin is with you, lying on your shoulders, or it's lying on Christ, the Lamb of God. Now, if it's lying on your back, you are lost. But if it's resting on Christ, you are free because you're saved. There's only two conditions that man is in. He is under the bondage of sin or he's free from that bondage. And we're going to talk about that freedom this morning because that freedom is a gift. It's a gift given to us by God through His Son. We celebrate Christmas in the giving of gifts. We celebrate these things and these celebrations by giving gifts. Do you realize that Christmas is God's supernatural intervention to bring you freedom? We sang this song out of Egypt. We think of Israel that they were pulled out of Egypt. And God supernaturally intervened with them. Christmas is God's supernatural intervention in our lives to give to us freedom. His Son, the opportunity to be free. Free of what? I can tell you this. Free of everything. Everything. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation. Free of everything. In John 8, 36, it says, So if the Son makes you free, you are free what? What does that mean? If the Son makes you free, and He has, then you are free indeed. Do you live as free people? I was telling the worship team before service this morning, when I read that, I'm reminded of the William Wallace clip of Braveheart. And as I wrestled, I thought, should I show the video? It's not very Christmassy. But what did he yell? Freedom. We think about that. Now, people, including Christians, don't value freedom like we should. We really don't. We don't understand what this gift of freedom really is all about. So my hope is over the next few minutes that we can journey through the passages and understand what the value of freedom is and this gift of God. I think so many times as Christians, we look at this gift of freedom much like kids look at Christmas presents on Christmas morning. Now I want you to think about your Christmas morning tradition. Some of you all have kids that that would come down to the tree and how long would Christmas take? Like 15 minutes, right? How many of y'all, you let your kids go in and say, Christmas, ah, oh, it's free for all, and they rip through the presents. And they go, is that it? You know, they rip through it, and there's the box and all of that. My wife, bless her heart, has figured out how to torture our children. She created this code, and she would do it every year, one, because she didn't want them to try to figure out what the presents were, so, so it was a code, and, and she might pick a theme, and, and it might be like the Flintstones or something, and all the kids would have different names, so they would never know who was getting what. But the torture would begin when the gift would go to one of the kids, and then she'd go, mm, no, that's not for you. 
And then they'd go to the next one. And they would have to open up one present at a time. It would take us hours. I think I was the one that was really tortured, but... But to value, to pause, to reflect. That's what we need to do at Christmas, isn't it? To value this gift of freedom that we have. It's a time to pause and reflect on the value of of this gift that we have of freedom through the Son. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read through our our theme passage for this season. In Galatians 4, 4 4-5. And we'll camp on just one segment of it. It says this, But when the fullness of time came, God, what did God do? Sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of Son. Gifts. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for all the passages that we will journey through this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that You would teach us even now In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So in our passage this morning, it's very clear. Who is the giver? Who is the giver? God. God is the giver of incredible gifts. He doesn't just give a gift, His Son, but He gives incredible gifts within this. And the word here, God God sent, is an interesting word, is ek apostello. In Greek, it literally is part of, it means, it means sent out from. Apostello means apostle. One who was sent with a mission. Jesus was sent out from heaven with a mission. With a job. It was two parts, as we read in our text. To redeem those that were under law. For what? To give us freedom. And the second was to adopt us as sons, to make us adoptable within that, which is a legal term. But in order to be legally adopted as children of God, we had to be set free from the law and the bondage that the law had us under. So the first had to take place in order for the second condition to be fulfilled. And you think about this. God intentioned... And intervened in our condition to make us adoptable. But that had to first take place by the giving of His Son, the mission of Jesus. And I'll give you a couple of theological terms. Christological and soteriological. Christological means Christ, one that is sent with the mission. Soteriology is salvation. And so we see both aspects within this gift. The gift of Jesus was not just, I'm sending him here so that you'll know me. I'm sending him with a mission to save you and to give you salvation. This this gift is a blessing. And really it's the foundation of the message. The gospel, the good news, would not be good news if it didn't start with God sent his son. God intervened. That means God thought about this gift. Thought about what you needed. About this time, you're probably panicking, trying to figure out what to buy for your loved ones. What do they need? 
And then you go to the store and they don't have it. And now you're really in a panic. Well, what can I do? What can I give? And all of these things. God knows what we need. We need freedom. We need freedom from being under the law. Because if you're free, nothing can hold you. Nothing can keep you. Not even yourself. No, no doubts, nothing. God sent His Son from heaven to enter a manger and enter a tomb. He sent His Son to die on your behalf and my behalf so that we might be set free. God sent His pre-existing self, which is really hard to get, in His Son to come to this earth. In fact, we read about it in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-8. through eight. It says this, Having this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ, Christological Jesus, who, although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, Note, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. That's the gift. It's a gift that God has given to us that is offered to everybody. And the text tells us that he was born of a woman. Notice that it says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. The supernatural giving was unique. The package was wrapped in a very special way, full humanity within this. Right after the fall of mankind, God intended this gift. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. In other words, it is God's intention... At the fall, in Genesis 3, right after man sinned, God said, I'm going to send my son. God intended to set man free. Again, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it's written in Isaiah, it says, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Which means what? God's with us. God's intention. Through Genesis and through the prophets, God intended. And He intended to wrap this gift in such a way that you can't miss it. Born of a woman, immaculate conception within this, as the Spirit would come upon her. It's interesting, born of a woman. It doesn't say born of a man. Born of a woman. To fulfill prophecy, yes, to add humanity, yes. But also to have divine conception. In Luke chapter 135, it says this, And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. Immaculate conception. God's going to wrap this gift, His Son... In human flesh, Jesus added to Himself humanity being fully divine within this. And it's interesting that Jesus was born of Mary, not through Mary. 
The early Gnostics had gotten this kind of weird idea. People get weird ideas, don't they? And so they got this weird idea that, that Jesus being fully divine was birthed through Mary, not of Mary. Words have meaning, and it's important to understand that. Their idea, the early Gnostics believed that Jesus was fully divine, born through Mary, much like water going through a pipe. Never becoming human at all. And the Gnostics defied the fact that Jesus was human. Well, think about the consequences. If Jesus was not human, if he was not fully man, would the sacrifice be adequate for the sins of man? No, they would not. And so they, they devalued the humanity of Jesus. Still others would say that Jesus never had a human body. But if that was the case, then there would be no gift. There would be no sacrifice that was adequate. Perfect man violated God's law and was placed under the bondage of that law. And therefore, all mankind after that would be under the bondage of law and the curse of the law. Only perfect man would provide an adequate sacrifice to fulfill the demands of the law. Anybody perfect here? No. Therefore, God provided Himself as sacrifice through the Son. That's the gift. That's what we need. That's the most important gift that you could give is freedom from this. And so Jesus' birth was completely human. Born in a very unusual place, clue number two, Bethlehem. According to prophecy in Luke 2, 7, it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. I can tell you this little wood thing that's behind me is not the manger that he would have been laid in. What would he have been laid in? A stone slab. Interesting. When you take a look at, at wood usage in the Near East, especially during that time, they didn't use wood for an awful lot of things, but they did use stone. There's lots of rocks in Israel. And you think about durability and practicality, right? Animals are tough on things. So what would they do? They honed out troughs out of stone. And Jesus was born and laid in cloths on a stone and he would die and be laid in cloths on a stone. He was wrapped for you twice as he came into this world and as he died and then those wrappings were released as he rose again. And God gave us this great gift of freedom so what should be our, our response when God gives you an amazing gift? What should you say? Thank you. Reflect on it and say thank you. This gift had value. All gifts have value. When you, when you look at the value, and it's the value from the giver and it's the value of the gift. We know His Son was the only begotten Son. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Monogenus. That's whosoever would believe in Him. Whosoever. 
Universal opportunity will have eternal life. Monogenous. What does it mean? One of a kind. It, it, it expresses God's self-giving nature. And, and you're going to go, well, how did that happen? God gave himself in the second person of the Godhead. Identifying himself in the first person as the Father, the second person as the Son. Third person we know is the Holy Spirit. And you're saying, well, that makes him separate. No, he's one. Three persons, one God. How did that happen? When you figure it out, let me know. I don't know. But it does tell us that God is self-giving. In other words, this gift is from himself and most valuable, most precious, monogenous. His, his, his act of salvation is giving because of love. For God so loved the world. When you give gifts out of love, they're forethought, they're expressions of love. The idea is that when the other person receives this gift, they know that they are loved. I love to be able to give gifts and watch their face when we give the gift. To be able to, to share that. Fallen man loves himself. Fallen man loves darkness. And aparting, apart from receiving the gift of love of God, fallen man will never know what love really is. When we start and we understand that this this selfless act of God to give Himself for us. We can't love outside of receiving this gift of love that provides freedom. That means, God, you want me to be free? And the answer is what? Absolutely yes. Free of what? Free of everything. Free of everything. Because that freedom of everything and from everything brings confidence. No guilt, no shame, no sorrow, no suffering, no grief. Physical addictions, free from all physical addictions, all emotional conditions. When you can rest, when you can rest in that freedom that God's given you, it's free. Because there's no worry. Now, I know people in this church and in our body and our community, we never worry, right? But you know what it would be like to be free from worry? It's amazing. Why? Because we have the Son. And the Son is the radiance of the Father. Notice in Hebrews 1.3, And He, being Jesus, is the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature, and upholds all things by the word of His power. And when he, being Jesus, made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why? Because it was finished. What did Jesus say at the cross when he died? It is finished. Well, what does that mean? That means that you're free. Why? Because the debt of your sin has been paid at the cross. It is finished. But what if I sin again? It is finished. That means you don't have to be under this guilt and this bondage anymore because all of those sins have been forgiven. And we know this because we know that Jesus, who was born under the law... It's interesting, Jesus was born a Jewish man under the condemnation of Jewish law. 
and died according to that law to give freedom to all mankind, not just Jews, but Gentiles also. That's us. You're free. The next time that, as, as a child of God, the next time you feel guilt, you feel shame, you feel condemnation, stop and consider the gift of freedom that you already have received. And tell yourself or tell Satan to pack Sam, I'm free. And who the Son has made free, they're free in what? Indeed. And so Jesus gave us that freedom because He's fully divine. Only God has power over sin. Only God. We couldn't do it. Only God has power over sin. And only man can be the recipient of the judgment. That's why the dual natures, both the divine and the human, had to exist in one person because only God could have power over sin, but only human Jesus could pay the penalty for that sin. In Matthew 5.17, Jesus would say, Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill it. What did He do by fulfilling it? He died to give you freedom. And it's a gift that He gives to us. In Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? Becoming, having become a curse for us, it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. The law brings condemnation. The curse is the judgment of death. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. I want you in your mind's eye to think about the thing that is causing the greatest concern, stress, what's holding you down. And in your mind's eye, in your heart, Declare yourself free from it because of what Jesus has done at the cross. And say thank you. Jesus is God's gift of freedom. Receive it now. Accept it. It's a gift with your name on it. Well, the last thing that I want to look at was this purpose of gift. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Genesis 22, 1 through 14. We're not going to read through it, but it'll be there for you to reference it within this. All gifts have a purpose. There's a reason for the gift. We know that Jesus was given to give us freedom, and He was, he was given and to born to die. In Genesis 22, 1-14, this is the account of God calling Abraham to sacrifice who? His only begotten son, Isaac. Now you can scan that account, you can read that account if you want to take a look at it, but in essence what happened was God had given Abraham the promise of a son, this only begotten son. It was going to be a, a, a promise that would fulfill an earlier covenant that he was going to give him a land, seed, and a blessing, that he was going to make him a great nation. So after kind of messing things up with Ishmael and getting a little bit ahead of God, he finally gives him the son after 25 years. He, he waits. 
And he gets this son, the son of his old age. And now about 20-something years later, he's with Isaac. And God calls out to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to take him up to the Mount, Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt sacrifice. Now think about that. How would you feel if God gave you a gift and says, now I've given you this gift and you waited for 25 years to get this gift and you've enjoyed this gift for about 20 years and now it's this child and God says, now I want you to give it back to me. What would you think? God, how dare you? How dare you play with my emotions? How dare you give me this gift and take it back? You would think that, right? Abraham doesn't think that. In fact, without question, he takes his son, he takes a couple of servants, and he takes some wood, takes the knife, they got the fire, they go up, the servants are at the bottom, and he says, the boy and I are going to go up the hill, we're going to go worship, and no, we will be back with you. Why? Because his faith was in God. And as the account goes, Abraham took his son up, he gets up to this place. There's a little bit of questioning going on. Look at verses 7 and 8. It says this. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, Note, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. Now, could you imagine that conversation? They're walking up, and, and no doubt there's been some burnt offerings and some different things before. It wouldn't have been necessarily new for them, because Isaac knew the plan, right? This is kind of what you do when you go to sacrifice. You go to a high mountain, because in Near Eastern culture, high mountains are closer to God. And you go up, and you built your offer, and then you take the animal and all that. So where are you going? Well, we're going to go for a day hike, and we're going to go have a worship service on top of this mountain. But on the journey, Isaac gets a little bit concerned. Dad... We got everything for the sacrifice, but there's no sacrifice. Did you forget something, Dad? Dad's old by this time. Did you forget something? We're missing the animal to sacrifice. Abraham says, God will provide for himself. Literally, when you read it, God provides himself. And they go on. Okay, Dad, you know what you're go what's going on. It's interesting how 20-somethings always want to tell the 80-somethings what's up, right? But Abraham knows what's up. Because he's had this conversation with God. He doesn't let Isaac in on it. <laughs> I think things could have gone way sideways if Abraham would have let him in. Well, you know what? God and I had a conversation and you're the animal. It didn't happen. So they go up there. Abraham believed God. And believed that this gift had a purpose. As the account goes, he gets up. They build the altar. They set the wood. He says, Isaac, get on the altar. Isaac gets on the altar. Abraham raises his hand. And is about to drive the knife into the heart of his only begotten son. And God stops him. 
says, now I know. Now I know that you trust me. And they look over and there was a ram caught in the thicket that they would be able to sacrifice. God provided himself the sacrifice. The substitution for the Son. Jesus is the substitution for us. The value. Interesting enough, Mount Moriah is the same place where Jesus would die. It's the, same, it's the Temple Mount area. It's that whole region within that. And on that same mountain, God would provide Himself the sacrifice, His only begotten Son. Although this time there was no substitute for Jesus. It was Jesus as a substitute for us. And He believed God and it was counted for Him this provision. I think Abraham probably had the mind of Job. Job in, in Job 121b says this, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now when you read Job 1, Job makes this statement after losing all of his wealth and losing his kids. And his perspective is, God's got it. The Lord gave me all of this. The Lord takes it away as His. But I trust in the Lord. The freedom to trust in God is amazing. Abraham, as I said, trusted God in His provision. Later on in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19 says this, And by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up his son. And he who has received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, Isaac, your descendant, shall be called. And he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received them back as a type. Many times we are tested by God, allowed to go through different things to be able to for sure understand the freedoms that God afforded to us. But we also got to understand that God's got a plan. We read later in Second Chronicles about Mount Moriah. In Second Chronicles 3, 1, it says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place where David had prepared the threshing floor of Onan, the Jebusite. This mountain, this place, Calvary, was a blessing and a gift. We get to go back and visit it. In fact, Lord willing, in 2024, we're going to go back to that mountain and remember where we received this gift of eternal life. The name, the Lord that provides. If you look at verse 14, it says, Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, as it said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. The name, Yahweh Yireh. The Lord will provide in this mountain, in this place. The Lord will provide what? Whatever you need. But what do you need? Freedom. God, may I walk in the freedom that you've already provided. 
May I rest in that freedom. May I be at peace in that freedom. That there is no guilt or no shame and no condemnation. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? The first gift is the gift of freedom. And then beyond that, everything that we would need. Why? Because now we have this relationship that under the law, we've been set free to be called the adopted sons. Christmas Eve, we're going to unpack what does it mean to be an adopted child of God. But this cost of freedom begins with the freedom from sin. In John 1.29, John would write, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of who? The world. Is the death of Jesus enough? And the answer is what? Yes. Is it enough for what? For everything. Is it enough to set you free, to allow you to walk in that freedom? The answer is yes. Romans 8.2 For the law of the Spirit of life is in Christ. And Jesus Christ who has set you free from the law of sin and death. God gave His Son to set you free. It doesn't matter what kind of circumstances that you're in. You have freedom. It's a gift that's been given to you. This Christmas, meditate on that. Reflect on that. And then live in it. Don't open this present and leave it sitting underneath the tree and forget about it. Put it in the top of your closet and go, oh yeah, I got freedom. There it is. Use it. Walk in it. Live in it. Every day. If you've got to write it on the mirror in your bathroom, I am free, then write it there. Do a word study of what does it really mean to be free in Christ. How do I live in that freedom? How do I value that freedom? Because there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There is nothing that is greater than the freedom that Jesus has given to us through His sacrificial death. And you say, well, Carrie, i got terminal cancer. How does that work for me? Because you have eternal freedom. Temporal death has got no hold. Well, I'm grieving. How does that work when I'm grieving and I'm grieving this loss? When I understand that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away and God is giving me blessings of His presence, I can walk in the freedom of His presence which will help me come out of the darkness of grief. When you focus on Jesus and the freedom that He offers to you, And you value that freedom. There's nothing that will hold you down. We listen too much to the world and to circumstances which creates bondage. We need to focus on the freedom. God is the giver of this gift of freedom. 
Say thank you. Jesus has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit to remind you of that freedom. Say thank you. And walk in the power of that Spirit. And maybe this morning, you're not experiencing that freedom. Whatever it was that you had in your mind's eye, lay it at the foot of the cross and declare yourself free. Because God's given you that freedom. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time. And I thank you that we can walk in the freedom that you've afforded to us. This gift of freedom where we don't have to be under bondage of anything. Lord, those whom you've set free are free indeed. And may that be our focus. May that be our attention. I pray, Father, this morning for those that are struggling to live in that freedom. Lord, may they realize that not only are we declared free, but that, Lord Jesus, You were walking in that freedom with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to try to manufacture the feeling of freedom. We have the constant power to be free because of what You've afforded to us. And for that, may we say thank You. And Lord, for those that have not experienced that freedom, in their heart of hearts, they would simply say, Lord, I want to receive that gift of freedom that You have for me. And by faith, like Abraham, I accept that forgiveness of sins that You paid for at the cross, Lord Jesus, to make me free. Holy Spirit, will You come into my life? Make me free. Make me clean. And help me to live with great joy. In Jesus' name. Amen.
for this gift of freedom that you've afforded to us. And you didn't just declare us free and tell us to try to figure it out. But you're with us. Holy Spirit, you are present within us. You want to remind us regularly that we are free. May we walk as free people, children of the Most High. When circumstances, situations, emotions, this flesh, whatever, tries to separate us from the condition of freedom, may we come to the cross. Leave it there and be reminded that, Lord Jesus, you've made us free. Lord, there's a lot of people in this world today that are under the bondage of worry, fear, condemnation. This Christmas, may we share this gift of freedom that we have with them, that they would know that God loves them and wants to make them free. And whom the Son has made free, He's free indeed. May we do such and have those conversations that need to be had. And most importantly, make everything that we say and do make you smile. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen and Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.